My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. The two employees uh, within the studio decided, hey, you know what, we'll take your business if you're moving overseas. So uh, I, I offered it to them and uh, they were happy with the offer. And then I moved over to Dubai with the family and, uh, and started over there. This is Property Investory where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Dragon Domofsky, buyer's agent and founder of Buyer's Agency Australia. He takes us through his journey from shaky beginnings to a career in photography that led him to where he is today, proving that even when it feels like you made a misstep, you'll always end up where you belong. Other than Sundays, Domofsky's day-to-day life looks similar every day of the week. Whether he's working as a buyer's agent or working out at the gym, he fills his day with productivity. However, he's a family man and a fan of balance, so he makes sure to fit in fun and family time whenever he can. My typical day is uh, it's pretty much uh, very similar Monday to Saturday, so I wake up between five to six o'clock, I uh, yes, I wake up, have a, have a strong coffee, and uh, pretty much wait for the gym to open up at six o'clock, and <laughs> and straight into it. I luckily for me, my my gym is only two hundred meters uh, away from me, so it's it's a nice uh, nice quick uh, quick walk there. Uh, I spend about an hour and a half, so I'll do about a 45-minute cardio and then I hit the weights for another, you know, 45 minutes, thereabouts. Uh, come home on, um, on your average sort of uh, average day would be a school day. I've got two kids aged 10 and 12, so I'm, I'm married. And uh, I then help the, help the wife with the, uh, with the breakfast and whatever is needed to prepare the kids for uh, school. Uh, one of the boys goes to high school. The wife takes uh, takes the little dog for a walk. Not a little dog, but a pretty big dog. <laughs> Roughly about eight thirty, the wife takes the older one to uh, to school and walks the dog together. And I'll I'll take the younger one, which is um, which is about a fifteen minute drive to the primary school. Uh, after yeah, so after that, I come back. I jump on my on my laptop, uh, grab a cup of coffee, and I start my work pretty much. So sometimes I work from home, sometimes from the office. So it really depends. 
And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm on calls, I'm on emails. Uh, I then, <laughs> funny if I'm at home, funny enough, around uh, after lunch, around two two thirty, I I have about a half an hour siesta. That's my me time, and then by the time um, yeah that two thirty hits, close to three o'clock, I go pick up my uh, my younger son and uh, come back, and then do the typical uh, jujitsu or swimming or uh, their Chinese lessons that that uh, they do so then then i'll probably get back on to the laptop roughly about five six o'clock and just finish off there and then and then it's pretty much family time dinner and uh yeah and with the kids and and the wife growing up as a skinny kid domofsky took to the gym in his late teens his original motivation was to look less like a wardrobe fixture but after completing that goal he's kept up the gym habit for the last two decades I started training since I was roughly about 17. I was actually, I'm, I'm pretty tall. I'm about six foot four. So I was, I was a, a lanky kid. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was recommended by a few friends that, uh, you know, that I, that I pick up some weights and, uh, and, you know, build some muscle, let's say that. So, uh, so yeah, I was on a mission to, to get some, you know, a little bit of size uh, so I don't look like a walking ca- uh, coat hanger. So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So, uh, yeah. That's that's been over twenty, well, close to twenty five years now. So, I mean, it, it hasn't been consistent all the time. Um, and I've, uh, yeah. So, it hasn't been consistent all the time. It's been on and off, uh, but realistically, pro- probably from the age of 25 is when it's been consistent. You know, of course, I have a month off here, a couple of weeks off there, especially if I'm going overseas or holidays or things like that. Um, but yeah, it's been consistent since then, so nearly 20 years consistently. He was originally born in Sydney's inner west, but at a young age, he moved overseas with his family to a place close to his parents' hearts. I was born in Australia in uh, Camperdown and uh, roughly at the age of four to six months, I can't remember exactly, my parents actually went over to uh, to former Yugoslavia. So uh, mother being Serbian, father being Macedonian, we, we went over to, uh, to North Macedonia, which is uh, what it's called now and uh, spent uh, roughly about five years over there. And then obviously my father said, uh, you know what, actually Australia is a better place to be. So flew back, uh, moved over to Marrickville, lived in Marrickville for a short time, uh, Redfern a short time, uh, then went over to Campsie, which is uh, Canterbury-Bankstown area. Spent about seven years over there. And then we uh, went out to Weather- uh, Wakeley, a place uh, which is right near Weatherall Park, Fairfield, Liverpool area. So I grew up over there and then roughly about the age of 21, when I actually started my first business, which is photography, I moved over to, uh, to Leichhardt to be close to the business. Um, yeah, so the business was in, was in Ashfield. And, uh, and pretty much I've been in the inner west, uh, inner west for uh, ever since then. So I floated around Camperdown and, and, uh, and Stanmore for a little and Leichhardt. Uh, then in between that time, me and the family moved over to, uh, to Dubai for about three years. Wow. Okay. It sounds like, yeah, you, you've moved quite a lot. I was actually going to ask, um, do, do you know why your parents moved overseas for those five years and, and was it, um, do you have any memories of it as a childhood? I, I have 
very, very little memories. I mean, there, there are little snippets here or there that I do, but uh, the the reason was mum and dad wanted to move back to be closer to or be with family. Um, also, dad uh, had a had a restaurant. Uh, he, he was in the restaurant. He was well known. And uh, he thought, okay, you know, I could just go over there and, and start up a start up a restaurant, to, and you know, have a, have successful over there. But he he did notice the uh, the you know the country wasn't going in the right direction. So he thought, okay, it's probably better off to go back to Australia. Yeah, the Domofsky family certainly moved around a lot, both within and outside of Australia. Their moves within Sydney, including the reason why they moved to Campsie were for two reasons. So what happened was uh, my parents, uh, I, I remember the conversation, they, they actually had purchased a property. So when we were living in Marrickville and Redfin that time, they were renting. And then an opportunity came in Campsie uh, for a three-bedroom uh, three-bedroom house that was coming, the, the government was selling us, so there was an ex-commission uh, property. And uh, they, could, uh, they could get it for a reasonable, very reasonable price. So... That was one of the reasons they moved to Campsie and uh, living there for seven years. And, you know, that that time uh, in the 80s or late 80s, that was the interest rates were pretty high. So they thought, OK, you know what? I could sell. I could sell this property and have um, buy something at uh, at Wakeley, which is Weatherall Park, uh, you know, paid off. So that's pretty much what they did. And of course, we, we've got we've got a couple of cousins over there. So. While living in Campsie, Domofsky found himself in a situation that may sound familiar to parents of teenagers or anybody who's ever been or known a teenager. When I was living in Campsie, I, I was actually actually probably one of the reasons they moved. I, I was going in a bit of a wrong direction with, uh, with friends. Um, <laughs> not being the most favorite student in, in school with the teachers. So that's, uh, you know, hanging around, hanging around a bad crowd uh also was probably one of the reasons they moved uh and then yeah so wasn't wasn't too uh too academically great at school i mean i I had no problem if the work needed to be done i I did it um but i I didn't love it let's just say that uh went over to uh moved over to weatherall park went to st john's park high school and uh, I was in year 11, uh, year 10, 11, 12. So I started from year 10. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was, again, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't a great experience for me. I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, I did the work. I put my head down and for the, those last three years, I, I you know, I um, soldiered on and, <laughs> and uh, did what I needed to do to make the parents happy. And yeah, so uh what was I like at school? Uh, you know, I was friendly. I was into, I wasn't really into sports. I, I was into my music. I, I was into my hard rock uh, slash heavy metal music. So I had, you know, the longish hair, the ripped jeans type of a kid. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, hung, hung around that sort of a crowd. And uh, yeah, so um, did I enjoy sports? Not really. Did I enjoy academia? Not really. Um, you know, yeah, as I said, I just, did what I needed to do just to just to get by. Yeah, it sounded like you're more of a creative type of person. You sound like you like music. I, I forgot to mention. Yes, I was doing photography. <laughs> that was that was one one uh, enjoyable part of uh, of school. So I, I picked up a camera at the age of roughly about thirteen, and uh, 
in year 10, uh, the subject of photography became available at that school. So I, I picked that up and, uh, yeah, did three years of that at that school. And, uh, yeah, I actually became decent at it. And then after, after that, I, I got into, I, you know, I got the marks I needed to do. No, sorry, I got the marks I needed to get, got into uh, electrical engineering for a little while. Um, really did not like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, it was one of those things, you know, uh, traditional parents make, you got to make them happy. I'm, I'm sure Tyrone, you know what that's like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Coming from an Asian background, very common. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, the shock they got when I told them, actually, guys, mum, dad, uh, I'm not going to be doing engineering anymore. I'm, I'm pursuing photography. And yeah, mum, mum was, uh, you know, supportive. Dad was, you know, got a bit of a shock on his face and walked away, but, uh, <laughs> and then came back and argued. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I did that for a little while. I, I assisted some photographers and, uh, you know, studied, uh, got into an intense photography course, uh, first at a private college and then uh, TAFE. And then uh, started my own studio at uh, early uh, at twenty one twenty at the age of twenty one twenty two because I was working working for a a studio out in Penrith and and I thought I did that for a little while and I thought you know what I can do this myself so I saved up some money sold my car you know um, my dad was like okay well if if you're gonna if you're gonna do this I'll support you he gave me some money uh, he said whatever whatever you save I'll, I'll double that and uh yeah and i i went off and started off and uh yeah did that for about 13 years it was pretty successful um started off with about three employees and got up to about 15. congrats that's amazing so pretty much straight out of school you went straight into running your own business then as a photographer i was working for a little bit uh, studying and working um i remember i remember the days where i was working full time Monday to Friday, studying at nights and doing weddings, you know, uh, weddings can go for 12 hours each one on the weekend. And I remember in uh, that time in Chippendale in the darkroom when I was working in a lab, uh, come Monday, um, I go into the darkroom where I had to do the work and I'm falling asleep in the darkroom. <laughs> and uh, they were fun times and luckily I had someone that was working there that, you know, she was a, she was a really good person and she would uh, knock on the door quite a few times and, you know, she'd be, okay, come on. <laughs> but I hung in there for a little while, which was good. <laughs> Although film photography is far less common than it used to be, some businesses have adapted with the times and altered their business models to fit. The photo lab Domoski worked at while he was studying is a prime example. At that time I was working at, uh, studying at night doing photography, I was working, um, that's after the en uh, studying engineering, um, I was working for a lab, uh, they're called Pixel Perfect, I'll, I'll give them a plug in Chippendale, I think they're still around because I drove past now and then. And uh, <laughs> and at nights I'd be doing um, doing the photography course, uh, so it was yeah. So it was it was pretty much printing, uh, photographic printing. Coming up after the break, we hear just how much the photography world has evolved and how this particular company did digital photography. So. Uh, Look, that was, you know, almost 20 years ago. Well, yeah, it actually was over 20 years ago. We delve into how his first passion faded and led into the second. 
I wasn't a big fan of weddings, um, even though I did them and enjoyed them, but I, I couldn't do it every weekend. So yeah, I went to my next passion. He reveals his first big property blunder and how he sees it as less of a mistake and more as a learning lesson it truly was. I went, uh, took the family over to Dubai. So there was, uh, there was an opportunity for starting, um, uh, you know, starting a business over there. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Sham and you're listening to Property Investory. Hey there. Over the years, I've built up a portfolio of properties and it's been great to see capital growth. But the challenge I face is the passive income has been quite poor, providing a net return of 3 to 4% per annum. I'd have to buy at least 10 properties or more to generate $100,000 per year. Now, if I had the cash to buy these outright, which I didn't, then I need the help of banks and as they wouldn't lend me more, I was stuck. This is when I start looking into alternative investments where I could use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns and fast track my passive income goal. In a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve this goal and have tripled my passive income instead. Now, if you want to learn more on how I did this, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-31-32 and I'll send you a free report explaining how I did it. Tomoski offers an overview of the work he did at the photography lab in the 90s. For those not old enough to remember, you may be surprised to learn how involved the photography and printing processes were. This particular company did digital photography. So, uh, look, that was, you know, almost 20 years ago. Well, yeah, well actually, it was over 20 years ago. Um, <clears throat> photographers, uh, wedding photographers, portrait photographers uh, would actually send their file uh, either either online. Actually, no, not online. That Those days, it was, it was, their files were too big for online. It was actually through CD-ROM or a hard drive. They'll drop it off or, or get it crewed over. We'll then plug it in and, and then print them digitally. But the the actual photograph uh, photographic paper was a, a professional photographic paper. So it wasn't like your normal standard printer. So they were still sensitive to light needing the dark room. You know, so you would actually pick one large roll. And once it actually printed, you then need to t uh, put into the chemicals. And no other light can be exposed. So it needs to be pitch black. Digital photography started to overtake film in the early 2000s, which meant that photographers with film cameras were in for a wild ride. However, Demosky caught a lucky break at just the right time and for just the right price. When I was setting up the business, it took me about you know three four yeah about three four months to set up the business. I was in the stages of working with uh, film. And then as I was setting up, I was doing my research and, and funny enough, a, a friend of mine, his father offered me a digital camera with the lenses that were extremely cheap. You know those, you know those auctions that you can, uh, you can actually, uh, from the airports that they take away your, uh, now, I, I don't know where the camera was, but he actually said, look, I picked up this, this, uh, this particular camera with, uh, with lens. It's valued at that time. It was actually from memory about $4,000. He says, you can have it for, for about, yeah, you can have it for about $1,000. And I'm like, give it to me. 
<laughs> so it was just that timing that I picked up that digital camera. It was a good one too. Uh, it was a Nikon. And, uh, and yeah, so then I sort of redirected uh, getting into digital and thankfully I did. Thankfully, it just saved me so much money. He thinks his lucky stars that he was able to have that training, especially for when it came to photographing weddings. While today, you can take as many shots that will fit as many memory cards as you like, film photography ran the risk of running out of film. I, I did quite a few weddings where you can't make a mistake. You can imagine, you know, and you have to be very, very careful on, on your settings, on your camera. You know, you've got 36 shots or, or you know, 24, 36, depending on, on, on the film, um, and you can't make a mistake. But that that was a benefit for, you know, even shooting digital, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, these days people don't care. You know, they pull out the camera, they'll take a thousand shots just for one good shot. You just can't take your finger off the button. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Exactly. And, and of course, you know, you know, my, my 10-year-old can do that, take a thousand shots and pick up, you know, one or two good shots. While he shot a lot of weddings, they weren't his bread and butter. Self-timers and selfies hardly existed at the time, which gave his area of expertise the edge. I got into portraits. So, I, if, if, you ever, if you ever walk past the shopping centers and you see those little pop-up stands for about a week back in the day, um, which they called casual leasing. Um, we had a little pop-up stand set up and people would walk past and would make offers, uh, you know, photographic offers, you'd get your hair, makeup done, you know, get the family in. Yeah, yes. So the chances are if you walk past that, that was me, that was us. It's funny, it, it might sound expensive at the time, but when you look back 10, 15 years uh, down the track, it's always worth it. You, you're happy you got it done. The pop-up stands he manned were mainly for promotional purposes rather than the actual scene of the actual photo shoots. So we would sign people up. Uh, we would get those leads every week to our, uh, to our bookers on the, on the phone and they would book them in to come in for the photo shoot for the hair, makeup and, and so, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, they'll spend roughly about an hour, uh, hour and a half doing their, you know, prepping themselves and then uh, an hour photo shoot. And then a week... Yeah, and a week later, they'll come in and view their shots. Um, we, were, we were one of the first studios um, in Sydney, or actually in Australia, to actually do the, uh, do the airbrushing, the editing. So, you know, um, the before, yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 it was from the stages of, you know, those glamour photos where you use that soft focus filter, and then now, uh, oh, well, now, then uh, take off the soft focus and then use Photoshop to edit the shots. Since everybody and their mother got a smartphone with a camera, the photography world was turned on its head. It was good timing for Domofsky as his first passion was slowly fading to make way for the next. I'm not too sure what it's like now because I've, you know, the only thing I do is on the occasion I pick up the uh, the camera for for the family uh, family photos once a year. Um, that's pretty much, and, and of course, if I travel, you know, uh, I'll have my camera with me. But um, what it's like now, yeah, it's I have noticed a lot of the studios. Uh, have disappeared and you know and it was one of those reasons I I stopped doing it is uh, you know is the fact that uh, people were coming in at the last two years of of uh, of the business and you know you know would have photos there for, that's a couple of hundred dollars and they would say well why would I spend a couple of hundred dollars when 
you know, look at my phone. <laughs> and they would say, look, at me. I look pretty good here as well. Why would I pay you? And look, they had a point. And once you start getting, you're hearing that rhythm on and on, uh, you know, uh, being told, uh, have been told to you that, uh, that you, you know, you say, okay, well, maybe it's time to uh, change something um, yeah. or just move on. And I wasn't a big fan of weddings, um, even though I did them and enjoyed them, but I, I couldn't do it every weekend. So, yeah, I went to my next passion. <laughs> he ran his photography business for 13 years before both his world and the photography world started to change. He received an exciting opportunity to delve into another industry overseas which sounded nearly too good to be true. I went, uh, took the family over to Dubai. So there was, uh, there was an opportunity for starting, um, uh, you know, starting a business over there within photography. I tried it out. I, I played around, didn't work out, totally different markets. So before moving to Dubai, three years prior to that, uh, the photography studio uh, also had a extras agency. So part of the idea was, uh, people get their photos, but also we'll put them on a database and, uh, you know, get them work uh, as extras for, you know, Big W or catalogs or TV ads. And that, that, that went, you know, that went well for a couple of years, for a few years. And then I decided, oh, well, <laughs> the, the, the pitch was, you know, that, uh, hey, you spent $1,000 on your photos. How, how would you like to make it back? <laughs> No one said no one said no. So it was great. It didn't the photos were there. It didn't cost them anything extra. Um, you know, five minutes extra to, you know, get all their details and their measurements. They they go on a database and then, you know, we pitch it to um to the agents. So yeah. So anyway, so <laughs> then I had uh, the two employees uh within the studio decided, hey, you know what, we'll take your business if you're moving overseas. So uh, I, I offered it to them and uh, they were happy with the offer. And then I moved over to Dubai with the family and, uh, and started over there. While I was over there, I also uh, had a few friends from, uh, from Sydney. Actually, one was from Brisbane, one, the other one of Sydney, uh, who was in the, uh, in the property market over there. So they were purchasing off-the-plan uh, off villas and making a hell of a lot of money. <laughs> so I thought, I'll give that a go uh, while I, you know, try, the, try my photography business over there. And, um, yeah, so uh, things, things didn't work out as I planned. The market shifted. And very quickly, uh, yeah, the, um, <laughs> very clear, quickly it uh, worked against me. So, but anyway, that's, you know, you live, you live and you learn. While his Dubai property dreams didn't work out as planned, it wasn't his first or last foray into property. I was purchasing uh, pretty much in my early, uh, pretty much as soon as the photography studio was going well, I had the person who I was leasing the building from, he was in front of me, um, had his office, a security company. And he was driving around in, in lavish cars, Ferraris and Lambos and all that sort of stuff. And, and uh, I got to know him well. And, uh, you know, further on into talking with him, 
uh, I asked him, okay, so, you know, what else do you do besides the photography business? And, you know, he goes pretty much came out and said uh, property. So I invest in property. I buy, renovate commercial properties and, and residential. So I thought, wow, fantastic. So I got, I got a little bit of advice from him, but uh, he also got me tickets down to Melbourne for a particular seminar, went down, did the seminar, came back and I was all gung-ho ready to, you know, start investing in property. And of course, I read a few books and, you know, um, and uh, I bought my first property in, uh, in Pimble, a two-bedroom apartment on, uh, there on Pacific Highway. And uh, yeah, it was it was a you know an older block. It uh, sorry, an older apartment. It needed a bit of renovation. Uh, did the reno, uh, made some um, you know increase the equity into with the reno and uh, move from there. The property course in Melbourne highlighted the buy, renovate, and hold strategy before pulling out the equity to purchase the next property. So it was a three day seminar. I can't I can't remember the guy's name, and I did I did try to look for him uh, prior to the show. Um, but I can't, I, I couldn't find him anymore. So he, he was originally from Brisbane and, uh, the course pretty much focused on, uh, purchasing apartments and, uh, purchasing apartments that are run down, getting them for a good price, knowing your, uh, knowing your market, knowing your area, knowing that you're getting it at a, at a discounted rate. Um, and you know, hopefully off market if you can and uh, and you know going with that intention of renovating and then increasing the profit from there and then moving on to the next one Dragon Domofsky's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. We dive deeper into his property journey. So uh, then from there, I purchased another one in Liverpool. Again, same, um, same strategy. Uh, probably wasn't the best idea that time. A prime example of his strategy that comes with a free sticky beak. I'll give you an example and I, I can even actually give you the address to it too just so you know your, your listeners can actually can actually jump in and actually see what uh, what I do. So it takes us through the ups and downs behind that particular purchase. Then once uh, you know the timber prices went up, uh, I was slugged with another I think it was about thirteen thousand dollars on top of the uh, contract. And that's next time on property investory. If you love the show and you're a wholesale investor wanting to learn more about how I got started in alternative investments, where I've been able to use my equity and cash to generate 25 to 30% per annum returns to fast track my passive income goal, then SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-3132 to register your interest. Now, in a short space of two years, I've been able to achieve my goal and have tripled my passive income. To find out how, SMS me your name and email address on 04-88-88-3132. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. 
What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 